0: to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Kaylee Barber, Media Editor at Digiday.
1: I'm Tim Peterson, Senior Media Editor at Digiday.
0: All right, so Tim, you had this week's episode, and the interview is with Lynette Kaler, who is the SVP of Advertising Sales at Fubo. First question, why did you want to have her on this week?
1: Yeah, we had Dottavio from Revolt on Facebook. Uh, February or like early March, my, my brain's already fuzzy, and we're only three months into the year um, to talk about kind of like the state of the TV ad business. Um, and so I wanted to have someone on talk about the streaming side of things. Um, and then also like Lynette's just really interesting to me because this is someone who's running ad sales for a streaming paid TV service, but she doesn't have like a traditional TV ad sales background. She's not coming from NBCU or, you know, Disney or, you know, discovery or anything like that. She had most recently been at Merkle. So on the buy side where she was, um, really working on a lot of identity tech, um, and data partnerships. So that's her background. So she's someone who I kind of see as indicative of how, the ad sales organizations at TV and streaming companies is changing. You know, similarly, you have like John Halley at Paramount who he has like a programmatic, you know, more advanced kind of background. Disney's been really building up, you know, the data and tech side of its ad tech side of its ads business. And so Lynette is, I see her as kind of part of that bigger trend going on with TV and streaming ad sales organizations.
0: So it sounds like maybe first party data is a, a big portion of what she's focusing on this year. Um, how important is first party data going to be for TV and streaming in the upcoming upfronts as well as uh, the year as a whole?
1: Yeah in the upfront, we'll have to see because I mean that's less specifically around data and more around inventory. The data will be part of it because you know everyone will be pitching their you know data clean rooms. Um, and like pitching how programmatic is going to be a big part of this year's upfront, it seems. Um, and so, first party data will absolutely be part and parcel with that. Um, so that's going to be interesting. And yeah, first party data is one of the uh, pillars of the work that Lynette's doing over at Fubo, really building out their. Uh, First-party data strategy, sorting out you know their data cleanroom strategy, how many cleanrooms they want to be working with because the more cleanrooms you work with, the more your, your costs go up, or at least it eats into your margins. And so we talk about like how many cleanrooms um, she really wants to be working with, and how she's been really managing the costs of revenue associated with the ads business.
0: Cool. Well, it sounds like a lot to dig into. I'll let you guys take it away. Cool. Thanks, Gail.
1: Lynette Kaler, welcome to the DJ Podcast. Thanks for joining us.
0: Thanks for having me. This is great.
1: Absolutely. So, interesting time to be in the TV and streaming business. Interesting time to be in the advertising business. Interesting time to be in the regional sports business. What's the primary focus for you at the moment?
0: Revenue. Revenue generation across the board. That is the most important thing for me right now, is focusing on hitting our numbers um, and and, um, getting our message across, making sure that we're in front of the right people, growing relationships But at the end of the day, the most important thing right
1: now is revenue. Got it. And I mean, revenue generation is always a challenge. It always has to be some sort of a challenge. It was was easy. Everyone would just be rich for you. But especially right now, it feels like for media companies, revenue generation can be something of a challenge. And that's on a spectrum. But I think largely that's I'm pretty comfortable making that blanket statement what are you prioritizing in terms of you know sources of revenue generation at the moment
0: well, we have you know we have our traditional um, ad insertion DAIing into our into our cable networks so that's obviously the majority of our revenue however I'm also very focused on um, our first party data strategy so really blowing that out we sit on some really interesting uh, viewership data that I think um, advertisers would be very interested in um, so that's one part One portion. We're also doing a lot of work in the measurement space to really prove out our um, the strength of our audience. When we're talking to when we're talking to brands, agencies, advertisers as well. So those are two of the big things that I'm really focused on right now. We also have on the other side of our business is Fubo Studios, which which is our content division. We have a lot of different um, owned and operated. So we have Fubo Sports Network, which, which is our owned and operated network. We have our own and operated fast channel. We have Fubo Sports Network, which is has uh, about seven or eight current and former athletes, um, and it's their vodcasts. So we have that. We can do sponsorships, integrations into that as well, in addition to your traditional advertising. Um, and then we also have the Maximum Effort channel coming up with Ryan Reynolds and his team where he will be um, producing some originals. They will have some throwback content in there as well. So we have sponsorship opportunities around that as well, um, in addition to your traditional advertising. So we have a lot going on.
1: Got it. And then Fubo TV, you know, like you have the fast channel business. I, I do want to talk about that because that's a really interesting space. But like the primary business and what probably most people know Fubo TV for is the streaming pay TV service and it being like a very sports heavy streaming pay TV service. With any, you know, pay TV service, a lot of the, so you're carrying traditional TV networks um, or a lot of traditional TV networks. And traditionally, in terms of the ad inventory, the networks are responsible for selling their ad inventory on the linear you know, side of things. The pay TV providers, whether it's, you know, Charter, or Comcast, get like generally two minutes an hour of the inventory that they can then sell. What's the inventory that you're able to sell? on the streaming paid TV service?
0: The same as a Comcast or a Charter. Okay. So we, yeah, we don't, we don't DAI into, to any of the broadcast, but we have some DAI into our cable networks. Got it.
1: Have you had any conversation? Cause like Comcast has had, you know, done deals in the past with, I think like Paramount to do some DAI into like Paramount's ad load, if you will. And it seems like there are, more opportunities there? Because, you know, one thing that a paid TV provider can bring to it is you have the identity backbone, you can do more of the targeting, whereas TV networks generally don't really know who's watching them and can't handle that kind of thing. So are you having any conversations with any of the TV networks about being able to combine on the ad sales for their inventory?
0: We have conversations like that all the time. Um, yes. So those conversations are happening. Nothing to report right now, but they're definitely happening.
1: Got it. And is that like nothing to report right now? Is that because are you running into any friction? Are there any obstacles to doing that? Because it feels kind of like a layup for both sides to do that kind of deal.
0: Absolutely. I think I'm I will be at football only seven months. So it's I'm still getting into the conversation. So there was I'm still a little bit new. I know seven months is a long time, but um, we had a lot to get done. So those conversations are kind of just beginning um, as I get more comfortable in my role.
1: Got it. And speaking of you you're coming from tofubo from Merkle, where you were running identity solutions. And so that's an interesting background for a person to like then come in, you know, become head of sales for a streaming pay TV provider. Uh this isn't someone from a traditional TV network, ad sales background, like an identity background is seems to signal something in terms of like what uh the, the aim is for you in this role or what Fubo wants to be doing on the advertising side. So how is identity figuring into what you're up to?
0: Yeah, so audience plays a big role in, what, in streaming in general. I think that's really what sets us apart, to your point from Linear, is that we can tell you, Yes. You can come to us and say, here's my audience that I want to reach, right? This per- These people are most interested in my product or service. And then on the back end, we can actually measure it and say, you're right. They are the right people that you should be targeting and we can prove it. So we can really prove the value of our audience. There's a lot less, there's, there's no waste, right? When you're buying audience versus linear, you're saying, okay, I'm going to buy this day part, assuming that the people I want to see it are going to see it, but there's no real way to say those people are going to see it. Got it.
1: And with the advertisers, like are they purely doing audience-based targeting, or are you just programming also get factored in? Like, I want to reach this specific audience, but I also want to reach them when they're watching March Madness.
0: Correct. So it's both. We we have both. So we we also have some traditional buyers who are like, I just want to run run a network traditionally, like no audience at all. We just want to run across across your network. So it just it depends on the buyer. Um, I will say some of the more sophisticated buyers are very very clear on. Ex- like, I don't want any of your input. This is who I want to hit. And then I want you to show me that you hit them on the back end. Some brands are much more willing to hear what we have to say um, and give them, you know, some insight and really work together to create packages that make sense. So it's kind of across the, all across the board, which makes it fun.
1: Got it. And then like that reporting on the back end, I, I think one of the bigger conversations in the TV streaming industry right now is measurement and third party measurement, measurement currency, Um the uh, you know, Joint Industry Committee recently put out their baseline requirements for currency. YouTube put out their principles. There's a bit of a, a, battle, a battle brewing, <laughs> yeah, which is super fun for me because I'm the type of person who nerds out on this stuff. Probably less fun if you're in the trenches on these things. But <laughs> what's been where's Fubo? You know, stand when it comes to third party measurement and using those third party measurements as currencies for deals.
0: Yeah, so we are in the process of working. Honestly, at the end of the day, truly, what I think it's going to come down to is what the agencies, agencies or brand want you to work with. So I think from a publisher or content provider perspective, we have to be integrated basically with all of them and kind of sit as Switzerland. We can have our opinions if asked, but really we have to go with a measurement partner that the brand has bought into. Because if they're saying like, this is who we trust, then, I mean, we can't really argue with that, right? They're the ones that are, they're the the ones placing the buy. They're the ones that know their audience. So we kind of go that way. Now, whether or not I agree with that all the time is probably less true um, you know, I've had a lot of conversations within the industry. I was at an event a couple of weeks ago and I was talking to others in the streaming space. Um, and we were saying, like, it's very hard because we know, like, we have the actual data, and that's what makes streaming so great. Like we were talking about, is that it's the audience. You know exactly which households are being targeted. We have that back-end data, we have that log level data. And to when we're relying on these um different panels, and obviously the panels are getting bigger and they're getting better, um. But they don't have everything we have. It's hard to say. Oh, yes, they're measuring us fairly and and paying for these measurement things. They're not that. It's not a small investment, right? It's a big investment on our side. And so, from my perspective, I'm happy to work with anyone. I just want to make sure that we're being measured fairly um, and correctly, so that you know I'm paying for for truth, right? I don't want to pay for something that says, "Hey, you're actually not hitting that audience," when I know I am.
1: Right. Yeah. Which is. I feel like always the, the challenge of like, it sounds so simple when you lay it out like that, yeah. but then getting into it, it's just like, oh, nothing's ever that simple.
0: It is. And it's like the, it's data in general, right? It's like the deterministic versus the probabilistic. Probabilistic can get really good, but it's still probabilistic at the end of the day. And that's kind of what we're talking about with some of these measurement partners is at the end of the day, they're bringing in, you know, billions and billions of data points, but it's still not completely concrete. So, right.
1: and, yeah, I think and this they,
0: conversation is going to go on forever. I mean, I n- no joke, every conference or everything I've been at has been all about measurement in the streaming space because there's so much conversation and no one can agree on, on anything. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see, you know, maybe we yeah. never will. Maybe that's what will we'll make it the best, right?
1: And that's also like what seems like it's going to be really challenging when it comes to like the measurement providers that need support. Because I, I get your point of you know, we don't want to tell an advertiser, like, no, take your money elsewhere. We're not going to support that measurement provider. But there's also, especially right now when everyone is trying to mine the costs of doing business, I feel like there has to be some point in which you would say, you know what, that's the 20th measurement provider. (laughs) Like we just can't We're not going to pay to support that measurement provider because that was a big thing. I remember talking to people on both buy and sell side about last spring heading into the upfronts was just we're going to have to sort out these measurement costs because everyone's measurement costs are going to go up and it's not like Nielsen's going to really drop its costs because Nielsen's own costs are going up because now it has to be paying for big data whereas before it had its own panel and it was kind of fixed costs. So everyone's cost seems to be going up. And so as much as you want to be cooperative with advertisers is there a line in which you have to say okay that's that's we can't do that measurement provider or we need to figure out some alternative so that you're not taking in revenue but like also taking in costs where it ends up being you take a loss on the deal effectively
0: Right. So we do have certain thresholds, right, that will say we, we're not even going to consider measurement unless it's over X amount of money, right? And it's different for each partner, depending on our relationship with them. However, and then on the other side, I've really, um, I've obviously worked with my team. I've talked with others in the industry. I've spoken with agencies, some brands directly, and really tried to take in who are the main players um, and kind of create relationships with those, with the handful of players, because to your point, I can't integrate with everyone because each one, and it's, it's fair. They need to make money too, but there's like a minimum here and a minimum here and a minimum here. And at the end of the day, I can't be like, well, I brought in this much revenue, but actually I actually, you know, it's the small amount because I had to pay all these measurement partners. Right. So I don't think my CEO would be very happy with me. So to your point, yes. Um, I think that's really where relationships come in, into play and um being able to explain to an advertiser, yes, we're happy to do a measurement study. We can work with X, Y or Z. This one shows this, this shows this, this shows this. But we can't go here and these are the reasons and hope, you know, that that they can understand from a business perspective. We just there's there's a new measurement partner popping up every day I feel like. And so I'll I feel like I get a grasp on it and then someone will ask for something else. I don't even know what that is. So like how did when did that one come up? So yeah, it's um I think it's going to be I think it's kind of like the streaming space, right? It's going to blow up and then it'll start to condense just like kind of everything has done in this industry. It's we get all of these currencies and then it comes down to your your, you know, five or six currencies or whatever it is. So I think that will be, um, that will happen. It'll have to, there's just too many.
1: Yeah, no, it feels like it's gonna be five or six at the high end. Um, But I know a lot of people I've talked to are just like, if we could get to three, that'd be great. Like it feels like three's the sweet spot everyone wants and five or six is like the high end that folks would tolerate.
0: Yes, yeah, if you, exactly. I'm, if I'm being honest, we're, we're, about at four right now, which is kind of a sweet spot. I would like to keep it there if we can. But then there's the other part that comes in is the conversations around clean room. Like, do we say, hey, maybe we don't need the measurement partners and we put clean rooms in the middle and we put, our, we put the data in, you bring your data in and you let your data from a brand perspective or agency perspective, have your data scientists go in and measure whether that's with sales data or, you know, depending on what the KPI is. But because that's a big conversation right now too is is clean rooms and where do those fit in? Um, those were big when I, when I was at Merkle, those were just kind of starting out and now they seem to be in every conversation. Um, and so that'll be interesting to see kind of where that lands out. Is it, is it a clean room just for measurement? Is I think clean rooms are really interesting for, for second party data where I have a brand that I work with and I say, Hey, you know, Mr. Brand, here's my, (laughs) here's my, um, viewership data right and then they can bring in maybe their sales data or some of their behavioral data or whatever it is they have on their clients and create really unique segments to target Um, i think that's a really cool use case of of clean rooms i think measurement makes a ton of sense i'm not sold on the matching side
1: (laughs) right well uh, yeah that's the tricky part about clean rooms is as much as they check a lot of the boxes there's then the similar challenge to the measurement challenge of if you're working with one clean room provider, or you're in one cloud, the advertiser's in another, right now there isn't really, like the IAB just introduced the um, open private join, some framework that like has just a terrible name or I haven't warmed to the name just yeah. yet, but it's supposed to like, basically there's this interoperability issue with clean rooms that no one's been able to figure out. I've been having a lot of, similarly, a lot of conversations with clean rooms um, or people in the space recently, since the IB put out its data clean room standards. And everyone's just like, well, these standards basically just allow us to define what is a data clean room because that's been a little too blurry. And <laughs> right. the next thing we have to figure out how to get to the clean rooms to work together. And it's just like, well, that seems like a pretty big, pretty Undertaking. important thing. Yeah.
0: Yes. Because again, then we're like in the measurement space where it's now I have, do I have to have partnerships with 10 different clean rooms, five different clean rooms? Like I can't do that because also not even just from a, a cost perspective, like actual dollars and cents, but from a engineering perspective, like how much time do I have to integrate with all these things when I also have other things that I want to build to to drive more revenue, new revenue streams. Maybe that's an interactive ad or, you know, unique Unique banners within our platform, or maybe it's an extension product. I don't know. Like, there's all these different things that I want to do, and I have, you know, only a very finite set of resources from that perspective as well. So, I'm and I know I'm not the only one juggling all of that, right? It's do we have a, we need more money? We need more. We need more engineers, more product guys, all of these things, and you're just um, you have to balance it all.
1: Yeah, that like how seems are you? To be
0: the difficult. how are you
1: managing like resources and staffing at the moment because it feels like there could be all these areas you would want to be hiring for or investing in but budgets are obviously finite
0: yes so um i'm actually doing a lot of that right now is really focusing on okay do i want to here's here's my set of budget right and where do i think i can get the biggest bang for my buck if you will um I think data is only going to become more and more important. And given my background, obviously, I I feel that way. Um, But it makes sense to me from a buyer and seller. I was on the agency side, the buying side, and now the selling side. It makes sense. Like from a seller perspective, this is why you want to buy. Let me show you why you want to buy my audience. Look at what makes them unique and great. On the other side, from a buy side, it's like, oh, yeah, I want to stop wasting money as well. So maybe I do need – while these CPMs and streaming are going to be higher than what I'm seeing in linear, are they more efficient? Are they more effective? Because they should be if you're buying the right audience. And so I think that data play is just going to continue to become more and more important, especially – and the other part is as regulations grow around the data space, it's going to be more important for both brands, agencies – Uh, publishers to really hone in on our own first party data strategy because we need to own that relationship with the consumer. Um, Because really at the end of the day, if you don't have a consumer saying, yes, I am your consumer and yes, you can target me, that kind of blows all of this stuff out of the water. So that's a really, like we have to, for me, we have to focus on that for several reasons, but I think it will eventually be a, a really strong revenue stream for us on one side. And then the measurement piece goes without saying. So those are probably my two biggest, I guess, expenditures this year that I would, but how I'm weighing them is basically kind of trying to work out revenue models to say, okay, if I spend this, what do I think I can make? Um, Because I have to, I got to sell it into my CFO and my CEO and others and say that I need this money, but this is what I expect to get on the back end because they're not just going to give me a blank checkbook.
1: Yeah. And especially, I mean, you coming from the agency side, you know this way better than I do, but then there's that whole working dollars versus non-working dollars discussion. And a lot of what you're talking about the data side, I would think those would be kind of non-working dollars or not really from the buy side factored into what the CPM is. Although maybe on your side now on the sales side, you may be kind of baking that into the CPM in a way, or you might have to, I guess.
0: Yeah, we do. I mean, I think it's a it's an understanding now between I think agencies and buyers that data has a cost to it, especially since the agency holding companies are becoming more. They bought they bought a bunch of data companies, so they know now there is a cost and they understand why. And so um, I think that helps us actually um, because they understand like okay they're used to say, they're used to paying a higher uh, or a premium I guess a premium CPM for that data because you're you're getting really. Um, unique reach there, right? That you couldn't get in other places. So um, I think that's been helpful in a weird way that they've, they've purchased their own uh, <laughs> data companies because I think at first it was like, well, it's just data. What's the big deal? And now they're realizing like, oh, it's data and it is a very big deal. And that's why we're starting to see all this regulation and, and such around it as well. So I think it's going to continue to um, to grow and, and and become more and more important in our daily lives across the board. Um, but I think that's a good thing. I think even for the consumer, like I, when I'm watching TV, I will much, much to my husband's dismay, right. When, when I'd rather see something I'm going to buy than I'm not going to buy. Right. Um, I'm, I'm always the person that's like, Oh yes, I'm the biggest, you know, I, you can influence me on anything. So, um, I really, I personally, I know I have to see, I'm, I've come to the realization and I think this is a hard part for people maybe who don't work in our industry, but we have to pay to keep the internet working. We have to pay to keep these services going. So that either the consumer pays more money for this, you have to pay a fee to use the internet, or you, you have advertising. And so if you're going to have to have advertising anyway, you might as well, it might as well be something that's relevant to you versus, you know, if I'm seeing a diaper ad and I don't have a baby, um, that doesn't make sense to me, Right. I do have a baby, so diaper, that would probably make sense. But (laughs) see what I mean. (laughs) See what's on my mind. But uh, yeah, so I think, um, and I think these younger generations are very used to this kind of exchange. Like, I will let you target me if you give me a better rate, or if you give me 15% off. And they kind of grew up with, with this. And so they're much more willing than maybe the, the um, older generations who didn't grow up with that. I'm in that weird, that micro generation where I had the internet in college, I'm dating myself, had the internet in college, but didn't have it, um, didn't have it growing up. So I didn't have email and all this stuff where my kids are going to like, it's such a different world for them. So I think as these kids, these younger generations that grew up with technology all along grow up, um, it will even evolve more.
1: Got it. And I totally get your point that they may be more familiar with all of that and it, you know, feeling somewhat normal. But I also wonder whether for a lot of them, there would also be the idea of they're more aware of how their data could be used or how data gets shared and kind of, you know, more aware of the potential risk. Like, okay, Fubo, I I have a good idea what you're going to do with my data. That's fine. But I also know that like data leakage is just always a potential risk. And so, is you know am i willing enough to like kind of buy into that risk just to get these targeted uh it's because and this is we're now we're getting into anecdotal territory which i'm not always wild about but like that's something i always am like considering is just like okay what's what's the likely use of this data what's the likely you know potential downside of my data you know getting out there and then where i'm really kind of you know get into is um consent and like kind of asking for consent. And that's, that's tricky all over the place we had at the Digiday Publishing Summit. And I think this was the September 2021 one, we had a working group behind closed doors, a bunch of publishing executives. And consent messaging was a big topic because everyone's trying to figure out, okay, what's the best way for us to tell the consumer what they need to know and be as upfront with them as we can, but not, you know, so much so that we're like overwhelming them with all these ads, where so they're just like, you know, never, never mind. I thought this is going to be a simple conversation. No, forget it. Um, and how? And feels. I think even in that conversation, connected TV came up as like, well, that's kind of a harder environment to be like doing this consent messaging because it's, you know, people are trying to lean back. They they have their remote control. They're not really. It's not like they're at a computer, keyboard, mouse, and they're used to doing input outputs. How do you manage consent messaging? And, and to what extent are you like thinking of updating consent messaging in light of the new privacy landscape we're in in 2023?
0: That's a big conversation that we're having with our legal team and privacy team right now to make sure that we are capturing um, all the proper consent, privacy, all of that. So Honestly, like I know data, that part is like, that's a whole nother world that I can't even touch on, but that's a constant conversation within, our, because we want to make the most important thing to Fubo are our consumers, right? Is we want to make sure that when they log into the platform, they feel like, okay, my information's safe with the people that I'm, I'm watching. And also it's a good experience. So we don't want to clutter it up with a bunch of ads where they're like, I'm already paying for this service. Why am I seeing all of this stuff? So we recently actually won the first streaming award from JD power and for the, um, the best streaming service by by their customers, so customer value, and that's something that we really. So every day we take that into account. We want to make sure that our customers feel um, that we we appreciate them. We take care of all of their all of their um, information. That's very very. Uh, you don't want that getting out, right? So that's very very important to us. So they always kind of sit at the center of every decision we make, whether that's developing a first party data strategy or adding a, adding new channels to the to the um, in interface. So it's it kind of, they kind of sit at the at the
1: middle of all of it. Got it. And then like on the, the data, you know, side and you know to your point, agencies and advertisers, they have their data, they have their data, you know, storage systems and platforms at this point. You have yours on the sell side. There was a TV network exec I was talking to you recently. We were talking about clean rooms and we were talking about kind of the the identity backbones or like how to kind of match data and how email addresses is kind of like the primary one right now, but then you have, you know, different identifiers coming in and also the structures may be different across the two sides. So it feels like there's a conversation bubbling up around like, okay, how does data need to be standardized both like in terms of what the primary identifier is to connect data points, but then also all the individual data points to reconcile like, okay, how does you know what's the key value pair for age on the advertiser side yes. versus it on the seller side? Given your background, I feel like this is like firmly in your wheelhouse, so you're a great person to ask about this. How are you tackling it?
0: So we have we're we're integrated. So we we're integrated with UID two. I think I think the premise of UID two is actually brilliant, and that could, from a measurement perspective, from a match perspective, all of that. If if we were ever to to actually standardize around one single ID, like that would make this industry, like all of the stuff we're trying to do would be so much easier. However, that's never going to happen. We have very big, large, um, <laughs> uh, very li- big, large companies who it doesn't make sense for them to do that. Like that would cost them money to let their walls down. So they're going to keep their walls up. As long as that exists, we're, it's we're gonna have these issues, right? So we from my perspective, we're integrated with um with various agency platforms, also with UID2. Um so if a if a client comes to us and says we want to run a UID2 ca- campaign, we're like, great. Or we would like to run something through LiveRamp, great, we can do that. Um we can also, you know, host a clean room and put you know we could depend, we could potentially do something with a clean room if that's what they wanted. And we're getting asked for a bunch of different things from different agencies. They're all doing it a different way. And so, again, that's another thing is like, you got to, on top of the measurement, on top of the data, on top of all these things, on top of the clean rooms, you also have to integrate into their platforms as well. So that's another constraint, another resource. Um, But I also understand why they're doing it. I think it's really smart. And I think that once we kind of get through this hard patch of everyone getting things in place, once it's there, I think it's going to be, a lot better for the industry as a whole, because all of this will be set up. And to your point, hopefully we'll figure out a way for these clean rooms to be interoperable. And when that happens, then is the currency as important because you have something in the middle that allows these two data sets to talk to each other? So I I don't know the answer to that, but um, I think that's when things could get really interesting. Um is when we kind of get through all all of this kind of uh, um, mess and then on to the next, right? So that'll just be something more. We'll get smarter. But to your point with like kids growing up with it, like they've seen all of this, I think as an industry, we need to do to do a better job of how of how data works and how we're targeting. I think there's a misconception that we're actually that behind the screen, they think, that they actually know who the person is. Like that's John Smith and I'm targeting him with an ad. And it's like, no, you're just a bunch of numbers with more numbers behind it that, you know, systems talk to each other. And I think that would, I remember talking to my mother-in-law about this because she was putting up all these like ad blockers. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, that's my industry. I got to pay for my house. You can't do that. And she's like, well, I don't want, I'm so nervous. And all this, and I'm like, they don't know who you are. You're just, you are a person but they don't know your name. They don't, all they see is a bunch of numbers. You're just, you're basically just a profile that they want to target. And when I explained it to her, she was like, oh, oh, that makes more sense. That makes me feel better. But if you think that like the person actually on the other side of the screen knows who you are, that's really uncomfortable. Um, So I think that comes down to, you know, education too.
1: Yeah, and I, I get your point, but it's also, you know, they can, you know, maybe it's just a bunch of numbers to that person behind the screen, but someone else may have, Data points where they just need those numbers, and then they connect it. There was someone right bad at, players <laughs> at see Well, not even necessarily bad players, just people who have the information and don't really think who think of the information they have in a silo. And it's just like, oh, well, all I have is IP address. That's kind of meaningless. Where someone else may be like, well, all I need is IP address, and then I can match it with you know this other piece of information that I have, and now I have right. the person's last name and their zip code. And there was a uh, CES dinner. This has been 2019, I want to say. And I was with um, a group of people. It was, it was late. Um, but it was someone from a credit reporting service. And they were saying, if we have your last name and your full zip code, we can get everything else. And that was one of those big light bulb moments for me, where it's just like, okay, that's why it's so important to like, for me to be responsible for all the other information that I allow. Because if that's all it takes for them and they're kind of really centered to the fa- to the identity backbone, then that means my IP address is like way more valuable than I give it credit yes. for because then that can be used to match the other stuff. And then once someone just gets my last name and my zip code, then they can get everything else. It sounds like all right, yeah. I need to be a bit more protective.
0: Yes. I No, you're not wrong about that. I, I agree with that. It's... Um, we do have to be more protective. And I, I'm honestly, I'm always paying attention to uh, passwords and making sure that they're really strong. And I remember when I was younger, I was like, oh, I'll just do the same one because I can't remember anyway. <laughs> and I'm, to be honest, I'm constantly resetting my passwords because I can't remember. I'm like, that was such a good idea. Now I can't remember what it was. So <laughs> here we go. But yeah, to your point, I uh, yes, I mean, privacy privacy and protection are really, really important. And again, that's why we really are focused on that at, um at Fubo because our customers without them we have we have nothing they're at the center of everything we do so we want to make sure it's both a safe experience and a good experience
1: yeah so we've gone super deep for a while now which is, yeah. is great for me on like all the technical sides of the ad business um but one thing you know I wanted to have you on the show to talk about is just kind of heading into this year's upfronts what you know fubo strategy is and then also a lot of the conversations I've been having you know recently with some of the TV networks about this year's Upfront is they're rethinking their Upfront models a bit, or they're considering rethinking their Upfront models and are, you know, considering, okay, how does programmatic actually figure into the Upfront in a way that it hasn't really in the past? And to what extent does that count towards rated change? You have, you know, a big history on the programmatic side. I believe Fubo, like you all are, Part of you know you joining was to really build up the programmatic piece of the business. You have, um, I think, this your CEO on the most recent earnings call called out improving ad tech as one of the priorities for 2023 on the ads business. So how are you, what's the strategy for this year's upfront and how does programmatic figure into that?
0: Yeah, so Fubo really sits in a really unique place. I don't think that we have a traditional competitor, if you will, we're kind of like, so we have, there's, we have other VMVPDs, but the most of those roll up into larger companies. And so that really helps them in the upfront. For us, I think what our strength is is that we're very, very agile and we're very nimble and we can work with people however they want. So if you want to purchase on a direct I.O., great, we can do that. You want to do PG, great, we can do that. You want to do a PMP, great, we can do that. So I think that's really what makes us unique. And also we can get you in, into um, bigger sporting events or bigger uh, tentpole events that maybe are too more expensive outside of our walls. Right. And we have this great audience that we can speak to. So where we're going into it is we're hearing a lot of audience talk around the upfront. So maybe instead of guaranteeing against these GRPs, we're going to start guaranteeing against audiences, or we're going to come in and say, we're going to spend this, but we want some measurement tied to it. So ours aren't as, um, aren't as maybe large scale, right. But they're more, um, they're more targeted. And they are really focused on um, on driving outcomes. And so that's a big focus for us is making sure that um, agencies are aware of who our audience is, what makes them great, what our content is, um, what our sponsorship opportunities are. Um, All of those things are very, very important that we're telling our story and we're getting out in front of the right people. And so right now it's having conversations with heads of investments across agencies, um, in some cases brand direct. Um, where we have those relationships in place, and so for us, it's re- I think our real our our big sell is that we have the pre- the most premium content. We have the content that every advertiser wants to be around. It's the one like live sports is the one arena that people aren't DVRing. Like they're watching live, right? Like if I'm watching the Broncos play, I know how that's going to outcome, right? They're going to lose anyway, but Ouch. they better not. Russell they're killing Wilson me. They're killing shots. me <laughs> 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 on Digiday's podcast, right? But yes. But I'm going to watch that live and I'm not going to leave my TV screen because I wonder if they come back early and something happens and I miss it. Like we have the most premium content. We have a, we have a more affluent audience than most of our competitors, which means they have more money to spend. Um, and so we're really focused on that, that outcome and telling the story around our audience and making sure that we are part of the consideration set. And that comes with integrating into various um, agency platforms, um, integrating with various measurement partners. So um, it's all part of it.
1: Got it. And so for the model for you all, is it like that traditional firm commitment of advertiser, we need you to commit to spend X million dollars with us over the next year, you'll have these cancellation options, but really like that money's pretty firm? Or is it more of the like endeavor type deals where it's, you know, if you spend up to this tier then it unlocks this price or this inventory and if you spend you continue to spend then at the next tier you unlock whatever.
0: Right. So both we had both of the, both in place again that's what I think makes us really great to work with is that we are so agile. So in some cases we do have those we're going to spend 2 million over The next year or whatever it is right with this brand but on the other side we do have the endeavors to spend and with that um you know cpm discounts or or throwing measurement in or you know whatever it is so we have a lot we have um we have both sides that we plan to okay
1: i feel like we could keep talking for hours Uh, (laughs) we could (laughs) i'll I'll reserve some of that because i'm sure i'll be like reaching out to catch up again soon but before i let you go any surprises that you expect, you know, to see from this year's upfront marketplace or anything that like you especially have your eye on where it's like, oh, that, that's going to be the the point of excitement or like where there could be a really interesting development?
0: I think for me, every year, um, the upfronts, everyone keeps talking about, they're going to change, they're going to change. And so I think for me, I keep waiting for them to actually change because doesn't make sense to say, I'm this huge brand and I'm going to spend all this money with this network when I don't know what's going to happen in two quarters. Like we've had a, like the world around us has been a little weird for the last few years, right? We had the pandemic, which who would have ever, let's hope we never have one of those again in our lifetime, but that was a really weird time and that threw everything off. So then you had these big budgets and it's like, well, well, people can't even leave their house. Am I going to still advertise? Like, so I, I don't know if the, In my opinion, the upfront model is a little bit outdated in the sense that, like, why would we plan in, you know, in the summer for all of next year? Like that, it just, you just don't know what's going to come up. So I, I guess for me, I keep waiting for things to actually change and they're starting to. And I think the first step is moving kind of away from your traditional GRP, let's guarantee against these 25 to 54 or whatever it is and getting more audience focused. So we're saying, okay, we're not, we're not hoping people see it. We're saying we want these people to see it and we're going to guarantee against these audiences. What can you do against these audiences? So I think that might be the first move. It'll be interesting to see, but I think every year we get a little bit further away from traditional and more, you know, I think it'll continue to change over the years, but it's been something that's been in place forever. So change comes slowly. Um, But you know, every year I think we'll get a little bit closer to maybe a more modern version
1: I love it. I I think you're teeing up the future of TV briefing lead that'll be coming out the day after this podcast comes out. Cause that's going to be about, um, some things I've been hearing in terms of like how the upfront can change, not like massive changes, but potentially, you know, really important changes if they go through this year. But no, this was great conversation. Thanks so much. Yeah,
0: I appreciate it. This is really fun.
1: And thank you for listening to the Digiday podcast. Please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. You can even rate us on Apple Podcasts if you like. And we'll be back next week with another episode.